Councilman Sam Page and Councilwoman Hazel Irby have been the leaders of the St. Louis County Council for roughly two years. And both Democrats believe they passed some significant bills despite ongoing tensions with St. Louis County Executive Steve Stanger. Irby and Page join us on the latest edition of Politically Speaking, so let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Rosenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. Elections should be about your accomplishments. What have you done to qualify you for the position and why are you qualified to run? I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Lufius Alfa Romeo, offering test drives of the Alfa Romeo Giulia, the 2018 Motor Trend Car of the Year at Lufius Alfa Romeo in Fairview Heights. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today in St. Louis is... Colleague Joe Manis. And we have two guests today. Both with stories to tell. Both with stories to tell. Our, our first guest is... Sam Page with the St. Louis County Council. And our second guest is... Hazel Irby, St. Louis County Council. They represent the first and second con- con- uh, county council district. You're, you're number two, right? I'm number two. And she's number one. <laughs> yes. The number one councilwoman. And, and Councilman Page, you're still chairman, correct? Yes. And Councilwoman Irby is still vice chair? Yes. Okay, so the budget just got passed. Jason was there. Uh, you guys cut $35 million. you want to talk about that? Well, I, I think the theme of our cuts was basically to freeze spending. That's what we did in 2017. That's what we did in 2018. Uh, we were somewhat concerned last year that the uh, county government may, may have had trouble living within uh, a budget that was frozen at the previous year's expenditure, but they actually did it very well. We really didn't have any... Um, anyone come back and ask for supplemental appropriations to cover any any spending overruns and and um, it was our position that they could live within that budget again in 2019 and that's what we did we froze spending and um, denied the increases in spending that were requested councilwoman Irby, you actually abstained on all the budget bills not because you didn't support what your council members were doing but because you were dismayed that there weren't more raises for county employees, which has become kind of a reoccurring trend at county council meetings ever since Proposition P passed. You've seen this cascade of other county employees that didn't get raises basically asking for them. First it was the nurses, um, then it was the, the justice staff at the Justice Center, and now you're seeing some of the court staff asking for that. I want you to kind of explain your rationale for that because I, I don't think it's been talked about as much about your reasoning for abstaining, but you obviously have a little bit more time than just a soundbite. So here, here's your opportunity. <laughs> well, I, I support the, the, the employees. They've gone 10 years without a raise. And some of those very employees who come and show up every week are listed as public safety employees. However, they were excluded when the Prop P money was being distributed. They were excluded from the raises by the administration, and I think that was unfair. So my vote has to do with my support of the employees and, 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 and my belief. I'm passionate about the fact that there should be money somewhere in the, in, the, in the budget 
where they can receive a, a decent raise. I mean, to work 10 years without an increase in salary and everything else is uh, increasing um, is, is, uh, is an insult to our employees. We have wonderful employees, and I think they deserve it. One of the controversial things, I don't know if it's controversial, but one thing that brought criticism from St. Louis <coughs> County Police Chief John Belmar was the decision not to fund 50 uh, employees uh, new for new officers. And we, we talked about this before at the last council meeting, but before I play his clip, I want you to explain the, the council's rationale for going along with that. Well, sure. The um, budget that was presented to us uh, for the police department demonstrated very clearly that um, there was no um, plan to fill all of the county uh, police positions that they were proposing putting in their budget. And in fact, that's what we saw the year before. And it was a position of the council that we should not be uh, putting money in a budget that there was not possible to be spent. Uh, there's some difference of opinion about how new hires are accounted, but uh, what disappoints me during this entire conversation, there's been no recognition or acknowledgement or consideration of retirements and separations from the police department and counting in those numbers. And last year, or in this current year, 2018, we've had 90 police officers separate from county government. All we're talking about, uh, all we've been talking about is new hires. But when you add the separations and, and um, expected separations with what's already in the budget, there's plenty of room to hire all the police officers that they expect to hire in 2019. And we're really not interested in putting money in there that we don't believe they can spend. Luckily, there's a fallback position in county government. If the police chief or any other department uh, wants to come back and tell us that they need uh, more positions and, and they can demonstrate that need or demonstrate the ability to hire more police officers, then we're all in. We'll give them the extra money they need. But I think this comes back to a recognition that the police department's under civilian control. It's uh, under um, influence of the police board and also of the elected officials who have a responsibility to manage the budget for all of, all of county government. And uh, elected officials um, navigate their, um, their uh, ability to influence county police department through the budgeting process. That's how we set policy. So I'm going to play a clip now from Chief Belmar, and then I'll have both of you uh, respond to it. And I would gently push back and tell the council that I don't really think they understand the staffing issues in St. Louis County. I don't think they understand how to read the staffing tables in St. Louis County. But it's fair to say that on the fourth day of 2019, of January, we're going to be actually 51 officers short of our 117 goal. Now, when we get to the April class, when we get to the uh, June class, then we're going to be above 100 officers, maybe 102, something like that. So we're working toward that staffing. And in effect, what has been proposed here is a hiring freeze. It's a hiring freeze on police officers in St. Louis County. It is counter to what the voters' wishes were in this case. And I do believe that, in fact, it endangers our police officer because it eliminates the two-car arrays in St. Louis County. That's unacceptable. So... You heard that argument last night, and you pushed back at saying you council does support two pe people cars or two man cars, which means having two police officers per car. Um, but again, that's kind of the perspective of the county police leadership, and I, I want to give you the chance to respond to that first, uh, Councilman Page. Well, I would argue that we do know how to read the budget tables, and that's why we're having this discussion that uh, professional staff in the county budget office have given us information that 
um, directly contradicts uh, some of what the police chief is saying. Um, but if he is able to demonstrate that he fills those positions, then we'll be glad to um, offer more police positions in a supplemental budget. And what he's essentially asking for is uh, a long-term planning exercise where Proposition P money is sequestered in the police budget uh, uh, as uh, earmarked for future spending in a subsequent year. And uh, in St. Louis County government, we budget year to year. We don't budget for subsequent years or, um, or long-term planning. And that's where he's taking the conversation. Councilwoman Irby, I, I want you to give you a chance to respond to. I think so many times we are underestimated. We're accused of not being able to read, but we can read and we can hear. And we've heard the, the police chief say that he was unable to fill those 100 and plus positions. And uh, so if you are unable to do that and we cut it by 51, what is the problem? If they fill the 51 and we see the need for the additional ones, we're more than happy. We, we believe in um, having a two-man car, uh, two car. If they were so focused on that in the first place, why wasn't that the first issue that they took care of when Prop P was passed? That wasn't their priority. So now that we're trying to, to trim the budget and, and, and save some money for the county, now all of a sudden there's a big deal about the two-man car. I, th I think it's important to recognize that uh, uh, a lot of folks in, in the police department believe that the Prop P uh, fund is entirely for the police department. And that's not what it says. It's, uh, the Prop P fund was passed um, with the designation of public safety. That designation includes uh, the justice workers, the, off the folks that uh, take care of the prisoners. It includes the prosecuting attorney's office, and in, in my opinion, it includes the courts and some of our attorneys that work for the county counselor's office. And, and what we're seeing in this effort to sequester money in the police budget that can't be spent um, for um, subsequent year budgeting is an effort to um, withhold uh, uh, spending of the Prop P money and other places where it's um, rightfully should be spent. It's unreasonable that many people in county government have gone without a raise for over a decade and our police officers were able to uh, get a raise that they deserved, almost a 30% raise on average. Uh, we really need to look at uh, other county employees because our, our budgeting process, as we've watched uh, revenues um, decline and, and cost increase, we've essentially balanced the budget on the backs of our employees by denying them a raise. Now, um, going forward, uh, have either of you had discussions with the chief since the vote or since it became very clear what the council was going to do? Because um, I'm wondering if this might be a tension that could pervade various issues involving the police department and the council going forward. We haven't had a discussion. I haven't had a discussion with them since then. Um, however, there shouldn't be any tension. We believe I speak for myself. I believe in our police department. I think we have a great police department. We've never been against them. When when there was time to give raises, a lot of the police officers showed up. Somebody incited um, anger in them, making them feel that we were not a, uh, in agreement with the raises. We didn't we didn't go against the police department. We always felt that I, that they deserved what they get. We deserve they deserve it. You know, I mean. 
they're fighting. They're, if somebody said when we're going away from an incident, they're, come, they're, they're going toward that. And I've always appreciated that. I've always felt that they deserve the pay that they get. Although it's my belief, and I'm passionate about this, they left a lot of people out. And given those 30% and some, some people 45% raises, they left a lot of people out who are included in public safety. That's the part that's not fair to me. And, and, and I, I want to eventually move on to other issues, but my observation about Proposition P was a lot of this was foreseeable. Like when you give a, a certain segment of county employees a raise, obviously others are going to want to have it too. And that doesn't even scratch the surface of, I think, the other problem with Proposition P in that because of state law, you have to divvy out the money to the municipalities by population, which means cities like Chesterfield get literally millions of dollars that they frankly don't need, whereas cities in your district, which are smaller, don't get nearly as much money even though the crime rates are higher. So I guess my reason for bringing this up, because I mean the council did put this on the butt, put this up for the vote, even though I know this was kind of a Stanger-led thing. Isn't this kind of an example of not really far out thinking and not thinking of longer-term consequences by essentially passing this tax. I mean, I'd be interested to hear both of your views on this. Well, First, Councilwoman Irwin. Well, that's why things were done in, in a rush. You know, we get that a lot from this administration. There wasn't time, I guess, to af- when you know when they introduced the legislation to, and and and, and frankly, we don't have the benefit of being there when everything is when those decisions were made. We, we agreed with the fact that the police officers deserve a raise. But when it came to d- divvying up the amounts and all of that, I heard it on the news. I wasn't privy to uh, recommendations or whatever, or how much anybody should get. We were not privy to that. That was the administration. So I think in the... Um rush to try and come up with a revenue stream to solve the funding problem in the police department. Um, the decision makers in county government took the only tool that they had, and that's the way the, the, way the state law was written. Um, that really determined how the funds would be divided. That and the, the uh, political considerations of getting support from the municipal league. But it's my understanding that the, the way that that uh, fund was set up was relatively limited and to change that designation would require you going back to state government and delaying a vote on um, accessing that revenue for another year or two. Yeah, I understand the limitations, but frankly, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it. I mean, I know you represent a lot of large municipalities. I know they generate a lot of tax revenue, but do you really think, I don't know how much Creep Corps, for example, gets under this. Does it really need, do you really need a million dollars for public safety compared to like, North County? I mean, I don't think you do. Well, I think that you could look at all services in the county, um, education and public safety and human resources, and uh, you could argue that they're not divided in a way that they get to the to the folks who need them the most. Yeah. So um, I know there was this fight over the nurses a few, the few months ago and ended up, um, they did get money, although the debate was whether it was going to be the health department or through the Prop P money. Um, the reason I'm bringing it up is that going forward, how are you going to deal with some of this? Because you're going to have more employees from these other departments, as we mentioned before, saying we do such and such that affects public safety, and therefore we should get a raise because we haven't had one for 10 years. So how do you deal with that after you know the budget's been cut? Well, I think 
uh, once we understand uh, where the true spending is in county government and once we have a, a real serious conversation about what the needs are and what the expectations are of, of, of the voters in St. Louis County for, for, the, for what St. Louis County government will provide, uh, we may find some general revenue that we can use for raises for folks that aren't eligible for Prop P funding. That's my hope. Uh, some departments will be legitimate public safety departments and, and some just aren't. And if they're not, then, then they can't really access uh, the Prop P funds in, in the minds of the county council. And I'm sure the county council will set those boundaries and stick to it. But it's my hope that as we cut back on spending, as we get our hands around the budget, that we can find some uh, revenue for raises for other county employees. But I think we have to understand that over the past decade, uh, county revenues have been relatively stagnant. And expenses have grown with inflation. And uh, you know those two curves are going in the wrong direction. And the, the county is really essentially uh, nearly broke. And if we don't reset uh, the revenues and expenditures and make them match, then we're going to have to have a serious discussion about rolling up the property tax rate. Now, um, because of some changes that the voters made in the charter that in effect gives you a bit more power, uh, when does that go into effect? And how, how is that affecting, uh, this is partly for our listeners so they understand this, uh, the budget process now and going forward? Because, I mean, the council does have more power or will soon have more power. Over the budget right. and financial matters. Well, the, uh, you know, the role of government is essentially to uh, spend the taxpayer uh, money in a rational, reasonable way, and that's what the budget is. It's the biggest thing that we do. Uh, the voters sent a very clear message in November that they wanted the county council more engaged in governing. They weren't happy with the direction of the county as it was being led, and they wanted the county council engaged. And there were several charter amendments passed. Uh, campaign finance reform was one of them, but the other was... Um, to ensure that uh, transfers of funds within a department um, were reviewed by the county council and, and approved by the county council. That's an enormous change yes. in how government runs. And even this week on the, on the agenda, we had some transfers that we had to consider and approve, and we approved some, and some were put off for hearing in January. Yeah, and I was there, and I can say that that is definitely accurate. I want to use this as a jumping off point to talk about the last year, because as you kind of alluded to, I think the council has gained the upper hand in a lot of serious policy matters with the county executive. County executive started in office with basically just Councilwoman Irby opposed to him. You this were actually in 2015, the, right? And I, I, you haven't been on the show since that that happened, but there was a there was a couple year period before Rochelle Walton Gray was elected where you voted with the county executive on some controversial issues a lot, and then after Councilwoman Walton Gray and Councilman Trakis got elected. You seem to align more with the oppositionary side to where you're the leader. I want you to explain what happened between that time where you went from a Stanger ally to his chief antagonist, because for a lot of people, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, I think the definition of antagonist and ally are, are um, exaggerated on both ends, but I think it's um, fair to say that when the county executive was in office for the first year, at least, um, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I accepted what his staff brought to me and what he had to say as being reasonable. And um, when I uh, uh, heard some things that I didn't like, I saw some things that I didn't like, um, saw some um, uh, activities that I didn't like, then I stepped back and asked questions and was met with confrontation. So really the, the uh, relationship that the county executive has with 
each council member, not just me, but there's seven council members in all, as one that he brought upon himself. And it's a, a really um, definition of political maturity and how you inter interface with people when you disagree with them. And uh, this county executive, at least in his first term, did not accept disagreement. Um, he accepted uh, someone who, you know, did what they were asked to do. And I want, before Jill asked her question, I want to just have you respond to this question because you've been around politics for a long time. You're a former state legislator. You became within one or two percent of becoming lieutenant governor of the state. So you were, you're, you're not a political novice. So is it fair to say that you didn't switch sides because the majority of the council was going against the county executive and you wanted to be on that side? <laughs> I'm, 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 well, I, I want you to respond to that because outside looking in, that could be a reasonable conclusion of what happened. Sure, I, I think you can assess the situation uh, any way you like and, and people will to fit whatever narrative they're looking for. But uh, if you look closely and are watching closely, my questioning started well before that election. And uh, um, if you go back and look at the council actions, you'll see that. Uh, you know, switching sides, I think, is, is an analysis that the council runs on a polar system where everything the county executive is for, the council is against. But we've tried very hard to avoid that. Uh, I would say 80 or 85 percent of the actions that we take are in agreement. Uh, the ones that we don't become high profile, mainly because of the personality of the county executive, that if you disagree with them, it's going to be a confrontation. So um, I did a story almost a year ago uh, about kind of interviewed every member of the council um, to talk about what each of you saw were the reasons why the tensions, I mean, this is a year ago, things were at a pretty much a stalemate and uh, not good between Stanger and the council. Um, as our listeners may or may not know, as a rule, Stanger does not show up at the council meetings. Um, he doesn't, he points out that he doesn't have to be there, which is true, but it also means that he's not there to counter whatever's being said um, or to engage in explanations of why things, why his administration is presenting certain things. Since that, uh, then, over the past year, it's gotten worse, I would say. I mean, as far as the um, relationship between Stanger and the council, it, he did get reelected, although he barely did in the, in, the, in the primary, and Councilwoman Irby had endorsed the other Democrat, major Democrat in the race. So looking at this climate, if someone's asking you, aside from what Jason was talking about, why things are the way they are, how would you respond? I have never seen this, I mean, until a couple of years ago. I think it has everything to do with, Sam used the word political um, maturity. I don't recognize that at all in our leadership uh, in the county executive. And I say responsible leadership. I mean, look at Look at the pay for play. Look at look at his record. Um, the former county executive was defeated for much less than what we've seen with this county executive. Now you're referring to Charlie Dooley. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, so when we see somebody who who embraces the needs of the community and puts the community first, maybe we'll we'll have a different. Uh, outcome on the council, but we don't, we don't see that. How do you not attend meetings? Last night was the fourth meeting consecutively that he did not attend. That is not the first time. 
One of the other council members did the math. He has missed 54% of the meetings as county executive. And I disagree. Our charter says he shall attend. Legally, we all know what shall means. That means he's supposed to be there, and he's not. When we had the budget hearings and talked about, we asked two of his top people uh, uh, who came to present the budget to us, had there been any discussion with the county executive regarding the budget? They said no. It's on tape. No. They had not communicated with him about the budget. How do you explain that? When, we, when, when asked, when will you discuss the budget, they said next year this time. We're going broke, and you haven't discussed the budget with your staff? So the council took it upon themselves, and that's what we were supposed to do. We're, supposed, we're responsible for the citizens of St. Louis County. We have a fiduciary responsibility, and that's what we did. The county executive's not doing it, so we did it. No, I, um, I think the relationship between the county executive and the county council is definitely um, a function of uh, political maturity and, and showing up. I mean, uh, you know, if you want to... Uh, to be good at something, the first thing you have to do is show up for work. Um, but I think uh, looking forward on our relationship, it's a question of how do you handle your differences. If you disagree with someone, do you lash out, do you call them names, and do you try to insult them, or do you sit down and, and have a conversation about where the common ground is? And uh, for nearly all of the first term of this county executive, if if you didn't agree with him, then uh, you know his job was to he felt like his job was to try and uh, um, attack and humiliate and and uh, you know all the sort of things that you don't see and um, in rare circumstances except at the national level you don't see that in in most um, systems of governance well we asked councilwoman irby and councilman harder this question when they were on the show earlier this year but one of the things the county executive has brought up is when there have been issues that the council voted for like increasing the prosecutor's pension, or to some extent the ice rink in Creepcore Park. Um, you all voted for it, and then when things got controversial, you kind of reversed course, and you've said that you know you were misled, and his, he's pushed back and said that you're just reacting to political pressure. So I want you in particular to respond to that, because I know I've asked you this question before, yeah. but not on this show, because you could make an argument that the council wasn't aggressive enough when some of these things came before them initially. So I'd like your response to that. I think that's a perfect example of an issue that came before us when uh, uh, we weren't given all the information that was that we should have had to make a decision. And if you go back and look at the, the email trails and the documents that were um, that became available after that issue blew up, it was clear that there was an organized effort to um, to hide information from us because there was a fear that if we knew um, we wouldn't approve it. And uh, as, as much as I dislike changing my mind, I always reserve the right to change my mind if I'm deceived uh, when I made the decision or if I get new information that, that shows the decision I made was, was not a good one. I think uh, Northwest Plaza is even a better example. That was probably the most aggressively organized effort to deceive the county council that I've encountered. And that was the beginning of my loss of confidence in this county executive. Um, I made it clear to him that I would not support that location if it didn't save the county money. And uh, they worked very hard to distort and hide 
the true cost of the county and, and with some budget maneuvers and, and budgeting gimmicks and then uh, really just uh, an outright lie to us about what the cost would be. And I agree with 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 Sam. That's exactly what happened. There was so much covered up in that in that deal that we did not we weren't we didn't know about. And the the difference that I see in this administration and the previous administration, and I was talking to someone else who's also uh, had dealings with two or three other administrations before the Dooley administration, with uh, Lawrence Roos, uh, Buzz Westfall, Charlie Dooley. The difference in those administrations is that. You had people with integrity, and, and some people may argue with that. I, don't, I didn't know them personally, but you did not have to scrutinize every single thing. We have to scrutinize everything. We've learned that now. We learned it the hard way. I know I did because I didn't like what happened with Northwest Plaza. I voted in favor of that for several reasons, because of the condition of the buildings over at North Oaks. There were several reasons why I supported that just to find out that we were deceived. That's not a good feeling. So then, I, then you become where you have to scrutinize every single thing. There were, there were orders last night that I was nervous about supporting because there's so much hidden, hidden agendas that you don't know what you're voting for. And I said that at the beginning of the administration, um, I'm nervous about voting because this we don't get all the information. In the past, previous administration, the attorney for the council, for the county executive or the county counselor, yeah. came down with every piece of legislation, explained it to us, told us the pros and cons, left it up to us if we voted for it, this, you know, if whichever way we voted, this might be the repercussions or whatever. So you were able to make up your own mind. We don't get that now. We don't get any cooperation. When that legislation comes down, no one talks to us. It was unheard of in the prior administration that legislation came down for us to vote on, and no one came and explained it to us or why it was necessary. You know, we can read. Yes, we can read, but tell us why you're doing this. Tell us what's hidden, you know, hidden in there. Tell us what, what it means. We don't get that anymore. Okay. Uh, since, since you guys brought up Northwest Plaza, I think at least give our listeners a little general topic. Okay, the Northwest Plaza had been a mall. It Most of it had been vacant. Uh, Stanger administration had pushed with some developers to redevelop it. Um, some of those develop the top developers gave him campaign money. He says there's no quid pro quo. I'm just making this real simple. <laughs> but the I was covering a council meeting this summer where the uh, officials of St. Anne, which is the municipality where the uh, old shopping center is situated. I think it's in your district, Council. Yes. Right. So. yes, we're saying how this has helped their region so much. It's helped the community, helped that part of the county, that part of the county that really needs it as far as stemming uh, further um, deterioration. I'm just laying out what, what they say. And they were concerned that the council... Uh, negativity, as they put it, towards it was hurting their efforts to continue to revitalize that area. Um, and, of course, Stanger has contended the same thing. Uh, and, of course, he denies any quid pro quo. I'm just interested in your take on that. I'm, are you saying that, that you wish you had not voted for it, 
or that it had been handled differently. I just kind of want to get a sense yeah, of because where you can make from. the argument that even if it wasn't handled differently, the result is still a positive result for St. Anne and Northwest Plaza. I know that's a very cynical thing to say, but you don't have an empty mall anymore, and you have a facility that is revitalized. So, Eric, it, Councilwoman it, Irby first. It may be a positive result for St. Anne, but is it a is it a positive result for the citizens? We we still had how many leases? Six as a result of that move that we were still paying uh, rent for. Uh, we, the, 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 one of the places they moved out of, North Oaks, they've moved another program in there without doing anything to the building. So if it's good enough for this program, and they're paying the rent for that person who's in the building, the county's paying the rent for, for that person. So if it's okay for her now, why wasn't it okay? Why couldn't you have put the money in there and rehab that building in the first place? What was the purpose of the move? So I, I think that um, the economic development in St. Anne is a good idea, but it doesn't have to be done at a rate that robs St. Louis County. And uh, we could have had a, a more serious conversation about uh, a leasing opportunity or a development opportunity in St. Louis County that wasn't such a bad deal. And that's what, uh, that's what I would have liked to have seen. I, and that was my point from the beginning. If we're going to uh, have a presence here, if we're going to have a lease here, then it needs to be a good value. And uh, I don't think there's any disagreement that this project is 30 or $40 million over what it was described, and that's money that could have been done, used for raises for county employees or other development opportunities. So, so bad, the, the intensity to, to get into this location, and I believe that intensity was driven by relationships and contributions, completely overwhelmed the staff of county government and kept them from making a good deal for county taxpayers. The staff of county government were so opposed to the lease as it was written that they refused to sign off on it and the political, right. political appointees had to sign the lease. Now the controversy has been going on for months, I mean well actually more than a year on that development. Um, and in some, some would say that that and some of the other general fights have overshadowed some of the other things the council has done over the past year. Yeah, that was what I wanted to get into yeah. next. Yeah, you, you want to talk about, I mean, the things that you want to point out that the council has done that perhaps have been gotten less attention than it might because, because of these other controversies. Well, I've just uh, recognized some real uh, legacy achievements of uh, Councilwoman Irby and her accomplishments this year, and they generally have uh, surrounded issues of minority participation that um, have stalled for five years, but a lot of that was uh, was accomplished this year, really due to to her leadership. We talked about that on a previous show, but uh, Councilwoman Irby, do you want to just reiterate what that was? Uh, yes, the uh, the minority participation, as well as the uh, procurement process that uh, Councilman Wassinger led the charge, and and all of the council uh, supported. Um, there's been several things, and and I and I think that that kind of shows you the makeup of this council. We've, we are all working together. We're different parties, it doesn't matter. We've all been working together under Sam's leadership and I give him full credit for taking the leadership and for taking the, the leadership, but also um, commend the council members for working together. We have all worked together, uh, which, which proves that there's something wrong with the administration, as close-knit as we've become, and 
been able to work through some things this year and to make some major accomplishments, I think speaks volumes for the council. Now, I want to talk about the procurement bill. I know neither of you sponsored it, but both of you voted for it. And the right. procurement bill, and I'm simplifying it, mm -hmm. there was a requirement for construction contracts in the past for them to be linked up with an apprenticeship program. And oftentimes that meant that contractors that weren't affiliated with labor unions, not all, because not all apprentice programs are affiliated, but a lot of them are, um, had an advantage over ones that didn't. Right. So naturally, when this came up, a lot of members of organized labor were not happy with this. And I want to play a clip now from John Gall, who's with the Carpenters Union. I actually spent time touring their facility, which I think is in Afton, the day the veto override occurred. And this was a comment that was specifically pointed at you, Councilman Page, that I want you to respond to. Well, I would love to see them to set aside the politics and look at the safety of the workers and the future of this industry for their projects. Um, one of those individuals that you mentioned uh, happens to be someone with a lot of training. And I don't think uh, that person would appreciate an untrained person walking into an operating room and administer, administering drugs uh, to, to patients without the proper training. So. I see it, you know, very, being very parallel issue. So that was obviously a very pointed comment, and their contention, which is implicit in that, is the apprenticeship requirement under this probably meant that workers are better trained and are going to be safer on the job. I know that the concern about it, especially among Councilwoman Irby, uh, was that it kind of shuts the door to many minority and and female uh, controlled contractors. But I want you to respond to that contention because. He wasn't, John Gall wasn't the only person making that argument when that bill was coming forward. The requirement that um, anyone doing business with the county um, participate in an apprenticeship program is a requirement that doesn't exist in federal laws. In fact, it's uh, expressly prohibited in federal law, and any county project that has any federal funds as a part of it is, um, is prohibited from considering apprenticeship programs in the award of that project. Um, requiring an apprenticeship program to participate in work is a law that isn't present in St. Louis City or in Kansas City. It's something that's unique to St. Louis County. And I think it's a legacy of our um, race relations in St. Louis County that has haunted us for really a couple of generations. And this region isn't going to move forward until we address race relations in a serious way. Apprenticeship program is one measure of someone's training, but really the, the measure of whether or not someone can perform a task is their ability to obtain a license to do that task. And everyone who um, does work for the county has a license to perform that work or they, um, or they don't do it. And uh, the, uh, the problem with the apprenticeship program that I saw is that we have a diversity study in St. Louis County that identifies apprenticeship programs as a barrier to minority participation. So my vote on this bill was basically a choice between uh, a rule that isn't present anywhere in state or federal government or anywhere else in Missouri and um, addressing a very serious race relations pro problem that, that haunts St. Louis County and undermines our, um, our economic development and really touches every aspect of, of our culture. Councilwoman Irby, I was there when you and now soon to be former councilman Pat Dolan kind of got into a dispute about mm -hmm. how much effort labor unions have 
done over the past few years to become more diverse, they would argue that they have made a lot of progress in trying to recruit more uh, minorities and women to the trades. You heard that argument. I want you to respond to it. They they put some things in place after the the state decided to move forward with the right to work. So I think that was one of the things that, that, that encouraged them to do that. I think the fact that I filed the legislation for minority inclusion also prompted that. They always have to be prompted, in my opinion. And the, apprentice, the apprenticeship program I've seen in my community, the people in my community feel that it's discriminatory. The, the, uh, you get into the apprenticeship program, but you have to have a job to stay in that program. So the union plays around with giving you a job while you participate in the apprenticeship program. When it's time to go to the, onto the journeyman's training, you get laid off. So apprenticeship training has been a barrier for uh, African Americans in our community and also in terms of getting a, a job, an in, a job, individual job, but also for companies that are minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have a, to, to carry an apprenticeship program, you have to make, have a huge contract to be able to even afford to have an apprenticeship program. Yeah, I think the BUD program started in 2014, right after the Michael Brown situation. And so, right after I tried to initiate. That is true. Right, so, absolutely. I do want to ask a more political question to you, Councilman Page, because you just won re-election unopposed, so this doesn't really affect. Councilwoman, Councilwoman Irby. Irby. Obviously, mm. people can't see who I'm pointing to. <laughs> since and Irby, not- by the way, I, I should have mentioned from the get-go, is that aren't you now the senior, I mean, or soon will be, the longest-serving member of the council, no, correct? I, think, I was already anyway. Yeah, yeah. I okay. think you were. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've heard a lot from a lot of people, especially in organized labor, how upset they are with you for voting for that uh, procurement bill. And there's already rumblings that they're going to mobilize as much as they can to make sure that you're not reelected in 2020. And that could matter in a district like yours where there are a lot of organized labor members. I've already heard rumblings, for example, that – I think there's a newly elected Creve Corps city councilwoman named Heather Silverman who might run against you. Um, are you worried that this vote may affect your political future? And more importantly, I think this is a more basic question, are you even going to run for another term in 2020? Well, I'll make a decision about running for re-election uh, probably sometime around the year, end of 2019 or the beginning of 2020, but that's a decision that's a long ways away. Uh, you know. I would hope that every interest group, including organized labor, would look at my record and uh, consider that. And um, But I, I would continue to look at every issue as it comes before me and do what I think is fair. And uh, if there's one interest group or another that works against me in the next election, then I respect their right to do so. But I, I think that my record uh, um, on organized labor uh, issues is otherwise pretty strong. And that's what I was about to say. Um, He's proved himself, and I'm sure that what he's done and accomplished will speak for itself. Now, going forward, um, heading into the next year, now the budget fight, okay, it'll be little rumblings, but the guts of it is over. Uh, What do you foresee happening in 2019 right now? Are there key issues on the horizon? Are there things that you think you might be able to work with Stanger with? Uh, Do you see any... um, 
effort on his part to maybe rekindle relationships with the council. And the council will, will be changing. There will be uh, a change of two members, two key members in a few weeks. Just uh, just your thoughts. I guess I'll start with uh, Councilman Page on this one. Well, I guess my first response would be that we'll see. I mean, each of the new council members brings different life experiences. Um, Lisa Clancy really represents a generational change and uh, really comes from a, a, a social work background. She's a social worker and has a lot of support in uh, a progressive group of young people that have really become more involved in politics over the past few years. Um, Tim Fitch brings a lot of experience in St. Louis County, and we expect that to be very useful in, in uh, the decisions that we make. Yeah, Fitch is the former county police chief. Councilwoman Irby, you know, we had mentioned at the beginning of this, or not the beginning, at some point, that in 2015 you were the only person who wasn't directly allied with Stanger. You can make an argument that once 2019 hits, no, he, he will have no reliable allies on the council anymore. I mean, Grant, I mean, from a practical standpoint, having one who was Councilman Dolan didn't really matter that much. But still, that has to be a huge philosophical uh, thing to take in, given what's happened. What's, what's kind of your take on that? I would think so. But however, who can say? We don't know how the county executive thinks or what he feels. But, you know, I'm always hopeful. And I think when I came and spoke to you last time, yeah. I told you I was very hopeful that we would get off to a good start. And, and immediately <laughs> that was that did not happen. So um, I'm always optimistic. I'm always willing to work with people. And I think all of the council members are. Whenever he decides to show that professional uh, political maturity, I think the rest of us are willing to do that. I'm looking forward to working with Lisa and uh, Tim Fitch as well. I think it'll bring a new perspective to the council. I'm going to miss um, the our pre uh, Colleen and, and Pat and you know Pat and I had some good times we did we there are times when we worked together and I just think that the leadership has changed and that's why the the, the Pat was not with us on so I think things. I would give uh, Councilman Dolan Pat Dolan credit for um, what he's done at the statewide mm -hmm. level in the bud program I think mm -hmm. uh, recruiting minorities to participate in organized la uh, labor is something that will bear fruit over time and it really is a uh, a new process but I would really push back a little bit Jason on this on the narrative of uh, who's allied with the county executive and who's not I know that um, his uh, press staff spent a lot of time trying to create um, you're either for me or against me mm -hmm. and a lot of folks run with that but that's more of a reflection of the personality of the county executive you're either you're either for me and you do what I ask or you're against me and I don't care what you have to say and I think what you'll see on the county council is we'll look at each issue um, one at a time and some council members will be for it and some won't what you see different this year on the county council is that if there's an issue that we don't agree on we're going to try and find the middle ground on that issue rather than say you're for me or you're against me so for the average county resident who just wants to make sure uh, that the services are provided if they live in an unincorporated area. They want to make sure the trash gets picked up. Um, there's the whole issue with the roads. Um, how do you, I mean, what what message do you want to uh, send to county residents who are watching all this? I mean, what? how does this affect them? Well, I, the message I would send is that we uh, understand um, 
the message that was sent to us in November that there is an expectation with the approval of all these charter amendments that county voters want the county council to be engaged in governing and watching over the budget. And the message I would send back is that we understand we're watching that. Um, we're going to take a greater role and responsibility in running county government, and we're going to try and keep expenditures matched evenly with revenues whenever possible. I agree. I think the voters, uh, uh, they spoke up. I mean, our charter amendments passed. We, we get calls all the time from our constituents who approve of how we're handling things. So, you know, th that's, that's the main thing. And I think that, uh, I just hope that the county executive gets on board. And well, and I think you should recognize that, we all should recognize that the county executive spent a half a million dollars trying to defeat the charter amendments. And uh, the voters rejected that. And uh, it was a, really a vote of no confidence on his, on his leadership and his policies. And now we, now we have to hit the reset button and try and work together. Yet the voters reelected him. I, wouldn't, I would not uh, recognize that reelection as uh, a mandate for either uh, his leadership or um, his policies. Now, do you expect to get in a fight over the, ch I mean, because there's going to be a charter commission set up to make proposed changes uh, shortly. I mean, would that be something you guys are going to get involved in or not? Well, the, the charter requires us to make appointments to the Charter Commission, and those 14 individuals will get together and, and discuss when, what changes need to be made, and I'm sure it'll be a, a vibrant conversation. Joe, do you want to be part of the Charter Commission? <laughs> I don't think they want any reporters well, on Well, Jason it. lives in the county now. Maybe he could be. Uh, you don't want to know what I do to that charter. <laughs> I would probably make it so that my, my five-year-old son is in charge of the county. But on that note, <laughs> thank you both for coming in today. We'll be following uh, the county government very closely in 2019 for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. You don't have Twitter, do you? No, you asked me that, that question four years ago. <laughs> I, I do not uh, tweet. I have too much going on. Yeah, and you have one of the best Twitter account handles in the world, number one councilwoman. At number one councilwoman. It, and you made me do that. I the, know. The time when I came in in 2014. You tease me. Am I the most powerful man in yes, St. Louis are. County? I'm just making everybody do stuff. On, on that note, thank you all again and so on. Thank you. Sponsored by Lou Fuse Alfa Romeo of Metro East.